When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Bill Forster. And this is Jim Sorensen. And you're listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. You're listening to All Things Transformers, version 2.0. Transformers! some strange reason i want to say that's jim and his hetero life mate silent bill (laughs) that's pretty much how it works yeah (laughs) i'm extremely secure in my masculinity so go ahead i'm completely secure in my uh silentness Hello and welcome to All Things Transformers. I am one of your hosts, TFGN Mike. Joining me is Pecan Court Michael. Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's going. And in this latest All Things Transformers slash TFG1 slash TFG2 interview, we welcome the writers and artists Jim Sorensen and Bill Forrester. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hi, how are you? I thought this was great. You thought it was what? TED Talks. <laughs> it was a TED. We, we're lacking the stage. Oh, okay. Ah, yes. No, have, no, no stage. You don't have the All big, right. huge TED stage here. Although that would be cool. I, I actually do. Is this not a video interview? No, it's not. Damn it! I paid so much to rent this. <laughs> Jim lives on a stage. Uh, nice. Yeah, I could kind of see that. <laughs> he lives on a stage inside the Ark. <laughs> All right. So, 
Coming up, I believe it's in June, you guys are releasing Transformers Legacy, the art of Transformers packaging, correct? Oh, this is the first I'm hearing of it. Uh, funny, I just want to make sure <laughs> I have the date right. Uh, uh, I'm not 100% sure of the date. The last we'd heard was April 30th, but I believe that's getting pushed back a little bit. Uh, I think that the plan is to try and get it out, certainly, before Age of Extinction. Yeah, I, <laughs> according to the TF Wiki, it says May 6th. Um, but that could be, you know, could be incorrect. Who knows? I would think they would know more than we would know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those guys who know are updating the wiki, so. Yes. Right. I assume they have a source for their info, but I, I think it might get pushed back a little bit. Yeah, it'd be fine if it got pushed back, like, a week or two before the movie. That would be great for us, kind actually. Of. Kind of, kind of makes sense. Yeah, you'd actually, um, you'd actually get some uh, uh, publicity that way. I mean, you know, anytime someone went to go review the movie or talk about the movie or the movie came up somewhere, it would say, "Oh, also, there's a supplemental material being released. Go buy that." Yeah, yeah because yes. that's gonna. It could happen. You never know. If I were writing it, I would totally put it in there. <laughs> Or you could say, if you didn't like the movie, here, go read this. It's better. If Michael Bay did horrible things to your childhood, maybe you should revisit your childhood in the way of legacy. I got to say, I never quite understood the idea that Michael Bay is doing bad things to our childhood in that, as far as I can tell, all the G1 stuff, still exists and is still out there. And it's actually probably easier to find now than it was in like, I don't know, 1997 or so. So I, I can get people not enjoying it. I, I don't quite get the, you know, that you're ruining my childhood. It's like, well, unless he has a time machine, I just don't quite see intellectually how he can do that. And I tend to think that if he did have a time machine, he'd probably use it for other things like ruining Casablanca or something. <laughs> well, you know, I will say that as the movies have progressed and Michael Bay is still in the director's seat, that he has slowly been paying attention to fans because at least with Dark of the Moon and now Age of Extinction, we have a lot more G1 influence in the films in certain places. How about that? I think the fear is that the fear is that Michael Bay is trying to replace the things that you loved in your childhood with his own stuff. And the fact of the matter is that he can't really replace your childhood. He's replacing your child's childhood. Well, my, kids, my kids, you know, only know who G1 Optimus Prime is because I shove it down their throat. <laughs> uh, they're immersed in others in, in the current culture. Yeah. But like him or not, he's still bringing in more fans and more money into the oh. Of so it, oh, yeah. You know, I've been having this debate over on the G.I. Joe um, forums because, you know, Bill and I did a, a couple of the Joe books, and and it sort of reignited my interest in G.I. Joe. I, I liked it as a kid, but it wasn't something I stayed with as a fan, as an adult. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, at least I believe, G.I. Joe is sort of lacking is their version of Beast Wars. And if I can explain what I mean. You know, Transformers came in 1984 and it was brilliant and it was the hot toy for two, three years and the movie uh, you know, was a little disappointing by movie standards, but it certainly 
change the trajectory of the show and the toy line. And it sort of faded away, it drifted into concepts like Pretenders and Action Masters, and then left U.S. shelves altogether. And Hasbro mm-hmm. waited a couple of years and then tried to revive it under Generation 2. And I think as a toy line, from a fan perspective, is actually very successful as at, at reviving the toy line. It brought... It was quite good, I think, at taking some of the classic characters and reinventing them with much better toys, I think, objectively, than than a lot of what we'd had in G1. But it wasn't a big commercial success, and it wasn't a big creative success in terms of there wasn't much fiction to support it. There was a little little bit in the comic front. There was the TV show that was the old show repackaged. And then Beast Wars came along. And and I have an article about this in the the Transformers Collectors Club that's going to be out next month. But it sort of proved that Transformers could be not just Generation 1, not just cars and trucks versus jets and and tape cassettes. It it proved that it could not necessarily be Autobots and Decepticons. And Mm -hmm. I think it was so strong. It was such a strong toy line. It was such a strong cartoon. You know, the characters are so vivid. The storylines were so well-produced that I, I think despite itself, the sort of nascent Transformers fandom had to accept that this existed and was quite good and was a legitimate part of the Transformers franchise. And ever since then, Transformers has rebooted itself every three to five years or so, sometimes with a couple of soft reboots in between, sometimes not. And it's we as fans sort of have been conditioned to accept that Transformers can do that, can sometimes be very different, can sometimes be... You know, the mirror universe can sometimes be, um, you know, based around minicons or, or the concept of power linking can sometimes be Optimus as a young, inexperienced commander with a new art style. It can sometimes be very kid focused. It can sometimes be very sort of um, you know, adolescent focused with lots of explosions and boobs. And they're all sort of valid expressions of the Transformers brand. And I think that Beast Wars really did that. And, and I think that Joe, which is where I started with this, for the most part, hasn't had that. If you want to get technical, it sort of has had that in that there was the 12-inch Joes for a long time, and then Hasbro reinvented it quite radically as the three-and-a-three-quarter-inch uh, line of Real American Hero. But I think since that, they haven't been able to. And I think it's because Real American Hero hasn't really had its Beast Wars. You know, they've tried little reboots, things like G.I. Joe Extreme and Sigma Six and even Renegades, but... But it's never really gotten that far away from the real American hero concept in a way that succeeded. And I think until they do, it's going to be hard, which is why on the G.I. Joe 50th anniversary this year, you know, Hasbro isn't doing very much at all. Whereas the Transformers 30th anniversary, they're celebrating with books and toys and media and even a gigantic tome of Transformers box art, which is what we're here to discuss. Yep. Yes. You know I did that? I'm good. Yes. Came yes. Right, yes, around, right back to the beginning. We, I was going to say uh, we should totally have Jim on our uh, Transformers retrospective because mm, he knows the yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah we could. We <laughs> Let's talk about this after the show. Yes, yes. Um, say. So, Jim, yes. Jim uh, how about me and you reboot G.I. Joe then and, and that'll give you our next project. Uh, oh, if Hasbro's uh, willing to let us do it, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I actually well, we felt that uh, the, uh, 
to the G.I. Joe adventure team roots. We wouldn't call it that because I don't think that's a super marketable name in the 21st century. But kind of go back to those roots and maybe have the um, the villains don't use the name, but the villains kind of be this sort of Cobra Law secret society of monsters. Get away from terrorists and get into sort of more of the supernatural and super science. I think that might be a lot of fun. All right, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> I, I would watch that. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You got to keep the tanks, though. Tanks versus monsters would be cool. I think that, and I know this is pretty far afield from from a Transformers book of box art, but to me, the, the core of what makes G.I. Joe G.I. Joe is the idea of action figures interacting with vehicles. Because I think G.I. Joe has been many things over the years, but it's, that's always been an important element, the important element. That's sort of what it's all about. And I think that you know, the military theme stuff, the heavily military theme stuff, it hasn't been selling recently. And I don't think you necessarily have to be married to that. I think you might want to nod to the sort of concept and origins, but move away from it a little bit. Well, you know so. what was playing for that is Obama's manless drones. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I think that some of the most popular G.I. Joe vehicles were the ones that could never actually exist. You think so? Like what? Oh yeah. Oh, like Destro's Dominator. That was a you fun one. Ne- you can never build that in real life, but <laughs> but it's and, really and that, cool. Sometimes GI Joe is very much about realistic vehicles, but sometimes it's very much about the sort of the fantasy and the sci-fi. I mean, there have been lines of GI Joe that have been about um, you know the eco warrior type stuff. There have been lines that have, you know they're they're fighting zombies in the club this year for the for the um, mm. GI Joe Con, which I think is yeah. a. Re- I, I do think zombies are quite overplayed, but in this context, I think it's a lot of fun. Well, the neat thing is, though, is, is during the same time that Transformers was having their G2, where everything was very strangely colored, uh, Dayglo, if you will, uh, G.I. Joe was having the same, I don't want to say the same design pattern, but they, they were also very Dayglo color and very yeah. different. And they were using different themes like... Uh, let's try ninjas, or let's try Echo Warriors, or let's try, you know, just different um, gimmicks. And now you see those coming full circle. Like, wow, what did they do? You know, we, we got Echo Warriors. Well, what does Echo Warriors fight? Zombies. Sure, why not? Zombies are popular. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was I was honestly expecting something like Cobra Law to be vampires. And we'll have vampires. Sure, G.I. Joe versus vampires. That would rock. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of think that that might be certainly a good direction to explore, even if only to just prove to the – you'd have to do it well. You'd need really good toys, and you'd need a really good show. Get, like, Marty Eisenberg to write it, because I think that guy kicks mm. out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he, I, I thought Renegades was really good. Um, I just – I Renegades might have been enough of a reboot if there was – you know, enough sort of uh, momentum behind it. I would have really loved to have seen a second season of that. And I would have loved if the toys had been able to get out on shelves in time to sort of have the virtuous cycle, the toys supporting the show, the show supporting the toys. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, that, that was, that was a fun concept. Yeah. But that didn't happen because of that movie. I don't any, any, any time a movie comes up, Oh, let's cancel everything else and promote the movie. Yeah. Well, that's um... a shame. Cause I think GI Joe could handle, two lines you know one for uh, collectors and one for movie uh we, we see that time and time again with transformers too 
not to be too cynical, but I, I'm not sure G.I. Joe can support one line right now, or at least Hasbro seems to have their accounts. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I, I feel that at least in that in that line and that franchise, I think they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. But Well, they are, but let's face it, G.I. Joe are just the upgraded version of the old Green Army men we all grew up playing with. Uh... Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right let's get back to the questions here uh jim where did you grow up i grew up in north babylon new york wow no sorry idea. it's not a very open-ended question <laughs> <laughs> what about you bill i grew up uh in queens new york and then i moved out to bayshore long island which is where i met jim we kind of grew up on the island together yeah. Oh, really? So you guys have been friends a long time. Uh, since I was about 17 and he was 15, I believe. Yeah, about that. Yeah. So over 20 years, I think. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and just, I, just while we're on the subject, my wife, Ming Lee, uh, she's from Taiwan originally, but she grew up in Bayshore as well. Yeah, we actually went to the same high school, me and his wife. Oh, cool. That's that's something I never knew. <laughs> here's here's a slightly funny story about that. I don't think uh, Bill was there, but we had another friend whose sister was in the same class as Ming Lee, my wife, mm-hmm. and she was the valedictorian of her school that year. So my friend actually, and I met her at college, so a, a few mm-hmm. months after she gave her valedictorian speech. So actually, one of my best friends growing up had seen her and heard her give a speech about four months before I met her and started dating her. Ah, that must have been a nice icebreaker. He's like, oh, I remember her. Yeah, quarter of her speech was in Chinese. I couldn't understand a word. (laughs) (laughs) That must have been rough. (laughs) So uh, when you guys were friends in high school, was that like your dream and aspiration to be writers or illustrators? Uh, Well, I think I always wanted to be an artist. And uh, I eventually went to art school and I wound up uh, uh, being the art director of a museum in New York. Um, I don't know what Jim's goals were, but um, it wasn't really our plan to do books together now. No, and I got to say, the writing was something that came a little bit later. I was more interested in science when I was in high school and college. I studied applied mathematics, and I worked for years in consulting. Mm -hmm. Jim's like a super brain computer in a jar. (laughs) Well, what, what had happened was... I got really, I, I was always interested in Transformers, and I, I found the Transformers fan community online in about 94. Alt Toys, Transformers was pretty much where all of it happened at the time. I mean, the web barely existed at the time. And I started conversing and uh, eventually started contributing. I think the first sort of real contribution, aside from just debate to the fan club, was that, uh, not fan club, the fandom was that I had cracked the Beast Wars language, like a cryptic quote, and figured out what all the symbols meant, and eventually posted that as true type fonts online. So that was about 1997, 98. Oh, that was you. That was me. Yeah. You could figure out what all the hidden messages were, and some of them were just things like, shields are failing, and they would say shield failure. But then sometimes it would be, uh, you know, the computer saying, it's been a long time since I've had sweet thistle pie. Stuff like that. <laughs> Including one in Beast Machines. The Beast Machines didn't have a lot, but there's one in Beast Machines that I think was directed at me personally, which was, if you can read this, seek help. I've been posting translations online for years. Yeah. Uh, I, 
Skier has that kind of sense of humor, I think. <laughs> well, presumably that would have been done by the uh, production department. Yeah, by the artist. Kind of, yeah. That's true. That's I remember when the, the translation started first started, you know, appearing online, and I was like, "Wow, that is really cool." And I just assumed that somebody in the art department leaked it. I didn't. I didn't realize that like some weird cartographer were was uh, you know decoding all this stuff. It's actually not that hard. And then the reason I mentioned shield failure was because that was the first sort of clue that, that something was going on with the uh, with the language to me. I was watching the show. I, I had the Laserdisc. I picked them up in Japan. I was living in Japan at the time. And uh, so I was able to freeze frame them and get them really quite clear. And uh, very early episode, maybe four or five, uh, you know, they're talking about shield failing. And, and there's, you know, two words flashing on the screen. And they said, I wonder if that's shield failure. And I just looked really quick. And it's like, okay, well, the, the third letter in shield is I. All right. Oh, look, that would be the I in failure. Okay, well, that actually tracks. And let, so then that would be S-H-I-E-L-D-F-A. And, and then from there, you know, I just went looking for other letters and, and then numbers. And sure enough, they, there's enough straight ones that you can find that you can, you can reverse engineer the funny ones. Yeah. That's cool. And also, sometimes they'd have in Beast Wars, they'd have just big blocks of text scroll by, and sometimes those were just the alphabet in order. That also makes it a lot easier. Although they can't <laughs> small, so uh, that, that kind of gives you an idea of the general shape of the letter, and then you look for another one where you can see that letter more clearly, and you say, oh, okay, that's what's going on here. It helps and, when the Rosetta Stone scrolls by. Like, oh, it does. Yeah. It certainly does. And the nice <laughs> thing about, or, or maybe the interesting thing about that, is the Maximal and Predacon languages, they're both just straight, you know, Roman character substitution fonts, but they're so different from each other. The maximal is all squares and half circles, and it's very sort of computery, but the, the Predacon looks like a handwritten language. It's got lots of serifs, it's sort of very jagged and violent, and I thought that was that was clever that they did that. Hmm. Jagged and violent, like most of Waspinander's deaths. I can see that. <laughs> First episode, so it was something that they'd done when they were making the pilot. <laughs> so uh tell me uh i'm thinking like so you're you're helping out with the fandom you're, you're involved how does that transition into you know what what you guys are doing now well uh, yeah, i think i started to tell the story and got sidetracked but i I'd, I'd, I'd been a part of the fandom and, and tried to contribute and one of the areas that i became very interested in was animation models uh i saw scans well, of the can old can i stop you a moment Go for he, it. He gets involved in animation models because Jim collects every one of the toys, and then he deciphers all the fonts, and he just kind of goes through these like little little areas where he finds one aspect of the fandom, and then he just consumes all of it, and then moves on to the next part of it. So at this point, he had like every G1 toy. He had all this artwork, and it just kind of led up to this point where he was collecting these animation models. Wow. That, 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 wow, that's fair. And I had found online scans of the uh, the Megatron Laserdisc box set, and, uh, and 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 they had the Convoy box set, the Laserdisc box set, then the 2010 and Headmasters. They had four of them. And then the, unfortunately, they stopped. They didn't keep it up with Master Force or Victory. But uh, they had these booklets called Planet of Cybertron, and they had um, and, and and in those booklets, they you know they'd start. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Start with a picture of the back of the box art. And then you'd go through and they'd have some trivia about the episodes. And then in the back, they had all these animation. I didn't really know what they were. And I, at the time, I didn't read any Japanese, so I, I couldn't even read it. I just thought they were this really neat black and white artwork with the turnarounds of the characters and the headshots and sometimes the transformation. I said, oh, these are really cool, these production designs. Didn't know what they were. And I started trying to figure it out. And first, I just looked for the other laser discs. And then eventually, I, I, I was able to figure out enough to say, okay, well, that's what they are. They're the animation models. And I started trying to track those down. And I wound up getting on eBay. Um, I wound up splitting with Fumihiko Akiyama, who's this sort of Japanese super fan, really nice guy. Um, you know, he doesn't come out to the States as much as he used to because of you know, sort of family uh, reasons. He has kids now, uh, which I can sympathize with. I have a five-month-old. Um, but he and I wound up sort of splitting this, this Transformers comic Bible that we bought that had lots and lots of the animation models because they had shared the um, the work that sort of had been done for Sunbow and Marvel was sort of done. Um, in, in many cases, it was sort of the same work. And, and for the animation models, those wound up going to the Marvel artists for reference. And it was just about everybody from the first um, probably two, two, three years. I, I think it was about the first two and a half years. They were missing a bunch of the movie stuff, unfortunately. But, um, in fact, I, I think a lot of the movie characters in the, uh, that we wound up using in the, uh, in the ARC books came from scans of the Laserdiscs, as it turns out. But I, I tracked down all these animation models, and I said, ah, I really want to share these. And, um, and I had spoken to Bill. Bill was the art director over at the Intrepid Sea Air Space Museum in New York, so he, he sort of had firmly established his credentials as an art type person and said, Oh, you know, maybe we should, you know, try and put these up on, on the web or something. And Bill's like, you know, we could do it as a book. And we pitched it to, you know, we, we cleaned up some of the images and we made a five page pitch to IEW and we approached them at one of the bot cons and said, Hey, would you guys like to do a, you know, you know, a hundred, 200 page book of black and white, you know, designs. And they said, no, why would we want to do that? <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good idea. So, um, so we, we we went back to the drawing board and we uh, we refined the pitch a little bit. But but I think the big thing we did was I had I think Bill alluded to this. I went through a phase and I still do this a little bit where I was collecting a lot of the original artwork and I had, I had a few pieces from Don Figaro who was really hot in this time frame and mm. I I contacted him and said hey you know we're doing this project you know do you think maybe you could do you know, a cover for us, you know, like a sort of a spec cover for us for this project. And, and he wound up doing that. And it's, it's the cover that, that 
that we used for the book and we repitched it. You know, again, we, we made the pitch a little better, but mostly we had this beauty and Bill colored it in this beautiful Don Figueroa cover. And that was enough for them to sort of take us seriously enough to, to give us that book deal. Nice. And that's, and that was very well received by the fans and had, had strong sales. And that's turned into, you know, what, what are we up to about seven or eight books that we've done together collaboratively now? Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, seven. Legacy of the Art of Transformers packaging will be the seventh book. Uh, you got seven. Arc one and I've, two, and I've done a couple more with Hasbro, and, and Bill's done some yeah. work with Hasbro uh, with uh, IDW. Yeah, very cool. Yes. Which, of course, uh, when we first catched this plan to to, to put these uh, character models together, uh, I think the first night we came up with this idea, one of us said. You no, know we should do is take all that airbrushed artwork from the packaging and put it into a book. Yeah, I, I think I think we had that conversation very, very, very early on. And in fact, I think that was the second book we pitched to IDW, and we actually had had a tentative yes. And then we hit the wall with Hasbro, and we said, "Hey, we'd love to do this book. How much art do you have?" And they said, "None." <laughs> <laughs> so, so in a sense, we've been working on Legacy since about what 2005. I think maybe maybe 2008. Okay. It'd be more apropos if it was 2005. You know that, right? Yeah. It'd be less accurate. I think we, I think we first pitched this book uh, around 2006. I think that's when we first pitched IDW. The art. You know, what I like the most is that you know you put the book out, and then I don't know. Jim comes across more art, and he says, "You know what? I'm going to put this out on my website." Well, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you like that. Yeah, I, I love I, your I, blog. Mostly, it's awesome. Thanks. I, you know, and I, I pretty much have shared it all, which is why I haven't done an update in about three months. That, that and the baby. But, um, but yeah, I've pretty much got it, all the Transformers stuff. I have a tiny bit of Transformers animation models that I haven't shared yet that I'm still waiting for a good venue for, but, uh, but not too much. I mean, most of the, uh, the sort of backgrounds and stuff I have that that's all shared. I wish I had everything, but you know. It's still hard to find, and I, I, I every time I go to a Transformers convention, I, I always do a pass through the dealer's room looking for that sort of material. Do you ever find anything? Yeah, sometimes. Every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to find, but it's not impossible. I the um, I did a I think an eight part series on Web World, and maybe um, um. Uh, five-part series on another one of the season three episodes, uh, maybe six parts. But uh, that was stuff that I had gotten the model packs for specific episodes, and that was long after I'd gotten most of the rest of it. Some of it, like the um, the backgrounds and whatnot, that I had gotten while I was still working on the second arc book, and a little bit of it makes its way into the complete arc. You know, we had a few extra pages, so we we made sure that we we filled those up with some extras. Mm-hmm. Um, but but most of it wasn't. I think it's really interesting blog fodder, but most of it wasn't sort of the the kind of thing that would really be exciting in a book. A few of them were. I think we had the models for the um, the crash Decepticon ship that they use as their base in in season two, um, mm-hmm. and I think you know we gave that a page or two in in the complete arc, and that was really neat. That was a, some background stuff, but most of the stuff, most of the background of material we had just wasn't quite at the level that we, we thought was appropriate for a book and also we always in mean, every book we've ever worked on we've we've pretty much run into 
our page counts. You know, we always have a little more than we have room for, which is right. a good to have. It means you wind up cutting the fat and making a stronger book. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we've ever had a book where we just had to fill space. No. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's good. It's really good stuff. And again, if if there's uh, extras that can, you know, bleed over onto the website, then hey, that's just gravy. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like in some ways what we're doing is almost academic. It's almost like research. You know, we're, we're trying to track down the material, find it, understand it, and then, then make sure it's published and then share it. And, and we like to go through IDW or fun publications because it helps us reach a, a wider audience. And it's frankly, it's just a nicer format, but mm-hmm. some material doesn't make sense for that format. And that material, you know, if we're legally and ethically allowed to, sometimes people give us material with conditions attached. But if, if that's not the case, then I'm more than happy to share it on the blog. Cool. So you must have a massive toy collection then. You know, it's not as big as it used to be. It's been shrinking a little bit. I, I, I have all the G1 toys pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I mean, there's a few... Sort of uh, in in G two I'm I'm not as complete. I didn't get all the repaints from G two. I mostly focused on original molds, but uh, but I think it was G one G two um, Japanese stuff. I think the European stuff I, I had most of, but that was right around when I was starting to lose interest a little bit. So I might have one or two gaps in there. And then I have I think I have almost all the mini cons. There might be a couple of the. Um, the sort of really hard to find ones from Japan that I was missing. Um, but a lot of the other stuff I, I kind of, I had collected and then I said, yeah, I don't know. Like, like beast wars. I was really into beast wars. I really liked the toys. I still kind of do, but I only have finite space. So I think eventually those mm. are, those wound up on the chopping block and I haven't been oh. getting so many newer toys, even though they're, they're quite nice. Just, I just wonder where I can stop. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I feel your pain. <laughs> what about you, Bill? What kind of collect? What kind of toys do you have well, as far as Transformers goes? Many years, I just went crazy and just bought anything and everything. And uh, recently, in the last couple of years, I've been really, really smart with it. And I said, you know, this is what I care about. This is all I'm going to collect. I'm going to get rid of everything else. So, really, the only two things I collect are Seekers and MicroMasters. And outside <laughs> of that, there's one or two pieces floating around, but. Mostly, I keep to that just because I need the limitations. I have a very obsessive personality and will bankrupt me, and I will literally drown in toys. So I, I like having those parameters. <laughs> it's funny you say that your your favorite is the Seekers because uh, we should introduce you to our mutual friend, uh, Brad, Thor- Brad Thorzine. He, yeah. he has the largest Seeker collection I have ever seen. Really? It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. He has all the originals. He has every single knockoff you can think of. I don't know if I have any knockoffs. I might have some knockoffs of the uh, world's smallest, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, he's got all the knockoffs. He's got a lot of the Japanese toys. And, and yeah. uh, that, I, mean, I have a pretty sizable collection. And But the Japanese uh, figures are something that I really didn't get into until like Beast Wars Neo. So a lot of the G1 stuff, a lot of the the Zone, uh, a lot of the you know the Japanese MicroMasters, I I, yeah. I don't have any of those. 
but uh, they they are really neat though. Mm. Thor Thorazine's got a pretty extensive collection of that Japanese stuff. It's yeah, cool to see. Yeah, he does. He very much does. I'll try to see if I can find some pictures to show you guys. Um, yeah, and the other right, thing so... I like to collect is um, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit big into army building, which is why I found GI Joe very appealing recently. But and Transformers has been getting better at it. So it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I can reasonably justify army building in my mind. I'll usually get two or three of them. So that that's kind of fun. So the the most recent one was the uh, the Viacons from Prime, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> which are the yeah, only the Prime toys I have, but they're quite nice. Yeah. Well, you know, they I, I want to say in Japan they were army building minicons. They would just release them, recolors and just. I don't I don't know if that's technically. I mean, army building usually is when you buy multiples of the same figure. And and I usually only do that if if there are multiples of the same figure in the fiction somewhere, right? I, I think there's lots of avid minicon collectors. I just don't know if I'd quite call them, you know, army builders, unless somebody just, with the exception for me, I did army build on uh, the dead end figure that came with Unicron because those are his antibodies. He's got tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you can see you can see my Unicron antibodies on the Transformers wiki on the Army on the page. Actually, most of those are mine. Ah, uh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, we don't have. I want to say well the Viacons, but aside from the Viacons, there really isn't like a generic Cobra soldier. Like from from the the early lines, where it's just like a guy in a blue uniform with a mask. You know, yeah, like, we, we don't yeah, have yeah. the equivalent of that. Oh, 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 yeah. I mean, probably the closest you'd have in, in G1 Transformers would be the Insecticons. And I guess you could uh, probably Scourge, too, with the sweeps. Yeah. Or the Sharkticons. Sharkticons. There oh, you thank you. Yeah. I forgot about them. Yeah. yeah, so there's a few. There's a few. I've seen people army build Sharkticons, and it is creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Sharkticons themselves, along with their Quintesson Masters, are also creepy. Uh... I've Sharkticons. I think one of the great uh i mean great tragedies is probably overstating it but but for the purpose in this scope the great tragedies of the transformers generation one line was that they never made the alagon uh, alicon toys that the quintessons used just the sharkticons because i thought those were really neat I'd, I'd have loved to have and I, I think there's some third parties of them now but i would have loved you know a classic toy back in the day of that and i would have been all over that yeah yeah he was he was supposed to reciprocate <laughs> not now <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Bill, who is, out of every single aspect of, of Transformers, who is your favorite character and why? Oh, Starscream. Easily Starscream. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story of how I got my first Starscream, and you'll appreciate why, why I like Starscream. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents went out and they bought me Thundercracker. And they came back and they gave me Thundercracker. And um, I, I said, oh, I really want Starscream. And my mom got kind of annoyed that she went out of her way to buy me a toy. And I didn't appreciate it. And I, and I said, and she didn't understand what I was asking for. And I said, I want the red one. 
And my mom said, why do you need the red one? And my father turned to her and said, your son likes the jerk, and the red one's the jerk, because your son relates to jerks. And I said, oh, okay, that's why I like him. So I like Starsky because he's a jerk, because uh, he's very, uh, he has a lot of character to him. Outside of G1 and Chris Lotta's performance, who is your favorite version of Starscream? Oh, uh, I really like animated. Uh, I, uh, I, I had to tell you, yeah, it's, he's great, but I got to tell you, I was really impressed with Prime Starscream. I think mm. he has one of the most interesting Starscream story arcs of any Starscream that we've seen. I really, I mean, he really comes full circle and in such an organic way. It's it's a lot of fun for me to watch. Yeah, Steve Bloom really knocked it out of the park. When we interviewed him a couple of years ago, we asked him, uh, had they ever, do they ever allow him to go into a lot of impersonation? And he said that uh, they don't do that often because they want to be my own thing. But when they do do that in the booth, everybody throws up jazz hands. <laughs> and he knows <laughs> to go into Lada. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... I've never really... I don't know. I, like, I I agree with you, Jim. I do like Starscream and Prime. It's probably the first time I've ever really truly liked and enjoyed Starscream. G1, I liked him as a kid, but not so much as an adult. Um... I don't know what it is about the guy. I, I don't know. Maybe I just don't like jerks. <laughs> I don't know why I podcasted for almost five years with Michael Wilson here then. If that's the case. <laughs> no. Um, what, what, okay, so Jim, what about you? Who is yours out of all of the transform? Anything. It doesn't have to be the cartoons. It doesn't have to be. It can be anything. Uh, probably Emusa then. Who? You know, um, Kane's little talking. Uh, like bird bunny sort of thing from Zone. Oh. Yeah, can I change my answer? Oh, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Moon. Oh, okay. No, no, not Moon. Imutsa. No. It's totally different. Moon, I thought was a jerk. Not a jerk like Starscream jerk. Just like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> did did Imutsa? But, but Artemis is cool. I liked Artemis. She was. No, um, I, I I guess I'd say um, probably Shockwave. I, Shockwave is the character I respond to, especially the Furman and Budiansky written Shockwave from the comics. Mm. Have you been reading the current IDW stuff? Oh, of course. That has to be the best origin of Shockwave I've ever seen. <laughs> hey, spoilers. I haven't read the most recent I one. I didn't say anything. Thanks, thanks a lot. I just said it's probably the best. <laughs> Origin of, of Shockwave. Now, now, I've now seen. we know that Shockwave has an origin. He didn't just like spring full grown from Zeus's brow or anything. <laughs> well, I mean, you mean like aside from like Senator Shockwave or? That's what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, re I read those. I, I thought, yeah, I thought see, maybe like at, at the end of Dark Cybertron that. Oh, like, no, 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 no. Revelation or something. No, 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 no. I'm talking about back when we find out. Senator Sh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, no. right, 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 no, no, no. right. Okay, okay. Not Darks. Why would I spoil Dark no, Cybertron you know, for you? Come I, on now. Honestly, I think a lot of the writing from IDW has, has really introduced some of the most inventive Transformers backstory stuff that, that I could I've ever seen. Like Emperata. It's like well, why does every <laughs> why do these weird 
you know, we off, you know, Transformer guys have one big eye and claw hands. That makes absolutely no freaking sense. They made the reason for it, and it, it flows. It works perfectly. It's amazing. I, I think inventive is probably the exactly correct word. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean, yeah. it's, it's they're not constrained by preconceived notions, and they, they right. go back and reexamine some of the fundamentals. Right, right. And, you know, I, I, I hate to go back to, like, uh, uh, the Dreamwave stuff, but, you know, back in the day, it was really cool to get G1 art because there wasn't any G1 art. It was like, floating around. It was like, this, this is amazing. It may be a little blocky. It may be a little too overly detailed, but it's G1 stuff. This is really cool. But the stories were awful. It was just <laughs> it, they were just real. The writing was terrible. It was just I shouldn't say terrible. It was just more of the same. It was oh look, Autobots and Decepticons are fighting again, you know. Okay, well that that's great, but IDW has really shown us what can happen when you become inventive. This is like and Marty I, Eisenberg I think, level inventive, you know. I think that was right baked into the DNA of IDW from the first or the zeroth episode issue, if you will, mm-hmm. because I think Furman in rebooting the universe really went back and, and, and put some thought into, well, why are they doing, why are they on Earth looking like cars? And then the whole infiltration protocols and, and those sort of aspects of the stories, even those I think are very inventive and, and quite a big, if subtle, departure from what had gone before. And I, I rather enjoyed that. Mm. Yeah, I, I jumped on board with more than meets the eye. I was like, okay, Rodimus I know, Ultra Magnus I know, everybody else I'll learn about. And hey, we're not just going to stay on a dying planet. We're going to just leave. <laughs> this is the best thing James Roberts could have ever done to those characters is make them make leave. Make them leave. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then make everyone think they were dead. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, the writing there, it, it's it's one thing to say, yeah, they're all going to go on a quest. But the the interpersonal intrapersonal uh, you know the bickering yeah. the, just the the witty banter going on is amazing the writing is oh i can't tell you how much i, I love this stuff. i think in order for it to be intrapersonal it would have to be like a headmaster arguing with himself i think <laughs> they've done that yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> um all right so let's go behind the scenes a little bit now be honest have you ever called up or called upon one of the voice actors to name a line of dialogue for one of the books? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, that question, I don't know. I, I mean, you got to remember, we mostly do art books. Right, but, well, with Allspark Almanac, yeah, that we was story-driven. And we interviewed a lot of uh, voice actors for Allspark. Oh, and I interviewed. Uh, not, yeah, I, we 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 got to speak to all of the main voice actors and some of the the guys playing secondary characters in, in animated. But I, I don't think it ever occurred to me to have them go through the lines that we'd written. Um, oh no, no no no! What I'm saying is more like you know you might see a line from Starscream in animated and you might not get it translated so well, and like you would ask them. Is this the way that you would say it in that voice? That kind of thing. Oh, not to the voice actors, but you know, um, Marty Eisenberg and, and Matt Youngberg and, and Derek Wyatt went through mm-hmm. every. I mean, they, you know, we, they had 
full drafts of each of the each of those books, and they gave us their notes and feedback. And especially on the first one, Marty, uh, I mean, they all did, but I think Marty especially had had quite a bit of feedback for us. Yeah. So um, if if the voices are ringing true, it's because you know, we had help from you know, the writers and then the artists and creators. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Responsible, but uh, not, not as much the voice actors. Partially just because you know, the voice actors, we tended to do you know half hour, hour interviews that were sort of very scheduled, whereas we had a, a, a much more back and forth relationship going on with Matt and Marty and Eric. I remember us getting a note back from Marty at one point where we had Optimus Prime use, the, use a certain word and he said, uh, uh, Optimus Prime would never use Yiddish. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. The, the, the note that stuck with me was um, about Lugnut and he'd, he'd circled our Lugnut dialogue and he said, it's close, but it needs, he has to work in a praise for Megatron even if he's not talking about Megatron, because that's how he thinks. So we said, okay, we can we can do that. So even if I don't remember which off the top of my head which characters Lugnut speaks on, but if if Lugnut is talking about Swindle, he still has to do it in a way where he's giving glory and respect to Megatron. <laughs> he's praising <laughs> Megatron. <laughs> if I remember right, uh, back when the Allspark Almanac came out we we spoke with i think we had an interview with uh yeah it was it was Derek yeah, Wyatt. It was with jim yeah and he was oh yeah oh, Derek Wyatt. oh we did talk to Derek wyatt did we yeah but uh i i didn't speak with jim um no i, oh. I thought i thought we spoke with uh, oh, Derek that was wyatt the, seg- the time yeah yeah and anyway he was telling us about how he was collaborating with you guys yeah i mean we, i, I oh, think he he more than uh i mean matt and marty had their input and it was invaluable and we definitely appreciate it but i think derek was the one who really you know more spent lots and lots of time with us on those books would you agree bill i would definitely agree we'd go up to uh to his office and we spent a great deal of time going over things and uh he very much holds it very close to his heart wow see that would be awesome i don't think yeah, I've he's, ever, he's, yeah. he's a lot of fun i mean you interviewed him so you know yeah, yeah. He's great. I and actually met him at a BotCon. So you can, I'm pretty sure he's going to be at BotCon this year, so you can go up and say hi to him now, too. Yeah, he still visits, even if he's not, like, on a panel. He's, yeah, well, you know, he, really he nice lives in, in the L.A. region, so when BotCon <laughs> yeah. in California. Yeah. Now that it's only in California anymore, grumble, grumble. 
Oh, grumble, grumble. But every time it's in California, we get tons of writers. We get tons yeah. of voice actors. Tons of actors. Yeah. Not having to fly them in, just having to pay their, their appearance fee makes it right. so much more economical to have really, really good guests. Now, I, I understand the reason. I'm just, you know, just, <laughs> just tidally locked in the in the Midwest. You know, I'm just kind of stuck here, nowhere near California. So yeah, but I mean, I mean, you're not really all that near to where. I mean, where exactly are you? Chicago. Okay, so it's not like if they hold it in Florida, it's it's appreciably closer to you or Dallas. Yeah, you're still fine. But I I get the benefit of going to Disney World while I'm there. Okay, so. <laughs> Los Angeles is one of the greatest cities in the world. Did, if you can't find something to do in L.A., it's not something wrong with the city, my friend. Yeah, it's, it's definitely me. You can only go to Santa Monica Pier so many times. No. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, I met I met Jim um, a couple oh, – what was the last BotCon I went to? Was it, was it 2010? Uh, 2010? It was weird, yeah. too, because we we just happened to be standing next to each other at a table, and you were looking at something, and I, and I was looking at something. And we ended up talking. And yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah. It, it didn't occur to me who you were. I was like, this is tall guy. I'm talking to you. Know? But uh, after that. the fact, when I saw your name tag, I was like, holy crap, that was Jim Sorensen. Shit, I could have asked him all these things, and I had no idea that was him. <laughs> well, I, I made it easier to find me because for the past three or so years, I've been um, – been walking around with a cowboy hat on, so it's not hard to find me at Con. Oh. <laughs> not that it was ever that hard, but now it's like you can spot me from across the room. So uh, anybody who wants to come up and, and ask me a question or chat with me or something, just just feel free. And by the way, this is only partially an affectation. Partially, it's for health reasons. My doctor told me to start start wearing hats when uh, I had a few, uh, you know, not so great cells on the bridge of my nose. So I'm actually I actually have a oh. medical excuse for my affectation. There you go. Uh-huh. But the cowboy hat, that was my choice. You could just yeah, tell yeah. people that you were copying Scott McNeil and everybody would be cool with it. <laughs> I actually want to be co- – I mean, Scott McNeil is awesome, but I don't – I feel like a little weird if I'm just, like, emulating him. Oh, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> Good, to know. Good to know. Yeah, you know, I mean, you could you could do worse than try to be like Scott McNeil, I guess. I, I That's true. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, no, that was very cool, and I never got a chance to say, "Hey, it was cool to talk with you." But you know, <laughs> I was just, you kinda, just did. yeah, it was just kind of a weird thing. I, I uh, I'm a legitimately friendly person, and I love going to cons and and striking up conversations with random people. So, what about you, Bill? How was your con experience? I enjoy going to cons. I'm just uh, not a socialist, Jim, uh, which I'm sure you've picked up on by this uh, conversation. But uh, I, I tend to be a little quieter, so I'm usually about ten feet behind Jim, just minding my own business. <laughs> but but Actually, I, I, I'm the guy comes into his own. At, where Bill comes into his own at the cons, I think, is in the bar scene afterwards. I mean, I enjoy it, but I think Bill really flourishes there, and uh, and that's that's where he sort of opens up and, and gets a chance to chat with the other the fans and creators. Oh yeah, if I'm drunk, then yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow! It's like, hey, look, it's Bill singing karaoke. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever gonna happen. Oh. Now all I can imagine with the two of you is Jim is Scott Farkas and Bill is the other kid. <laughs> we had uh, somebody point out to us that our personalities are very much like uh, Tigger and. Uh, 
Eeyore. Eeyore. I, I think that's pretty, <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, you could do worse than Peter Cullen. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. Thanks for noticing me. <laughs> I, I was in. The, I was at the botcon where he announced that he was no longer Eeyore. And what? and everybody was like, "Oh!" And he's like, "Thanks for noticing me." He's like, "I've <laughs> just been told I'm no longer Eeyore." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, dude, oh how, wow, that's terrible!" <laughs> Why? How did you get rid of him? I. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Why? I mean, honestly, it's like if it ain't broke, don't fix mm-hmm. it. So, Bill, you want to tell us about your uh, television debut and the fact that you have an official Hasbro license tattoo on your body? I think it might be the only official Hasbro license tattoo. <laughs> um, the story goes, I forget when it was, but quite a few years ago, um, I was... Uh, on a website or a forum or something, and I was talking to somebody about getting a, a Transformers tattoo, and uh, I think it was a tattoo forum, and somebody contacted me and said, oh, you should fill out this form for LA Inc., uh, which is this reality show where they give you tattoos, which I was familiar with. So I went and I filled out the form. Well, like a year later, they came back to me and they said, uh, what, what Transformer? Can you send us an image? Can you tell us anything about this? So by then, uh, um, we were working on uh, the second arc book. So I sent him Nick Roche's uh, cover that Josh Bertram uh, colored of uh, Victory Leo. And I said, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm interested in getting this done. And they wrote me back and said, well, can you get Hasbro to approve this? And I said, I don't know. How, how, how the hell do I do that? <laughs> uh, so I contacted uh, IDW, who contacted uh, – Hasbro who contacted me and it went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and they, they had to draw up uh, a licensing agreement and they had to speak to a bunch of lawyers but eventually they got back to me and they said yes you can do it and I contacted LA Inc and I said yes I can do it and they said well it's too late uh. <laughs> so, so I said oh okay so a year close to a year goes by and they start filming for the following season and they contacted me and said can we do it now so Hasbro agreed, and uh, I went down there and I did like a uh, uh, like a, a screen test, and uh, believe it or not, they actually liked me. So they said, "Okay, we're going to do do it on the show, and uh, we're going to tattoo your 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 chest on the show." Um, so come down a certain day, and I come down a certain day, and they and they introduced me to everybody, and then they had me walk outside the building and then pretend. To walk in and meet everybody on camera. Right. <laughs> and for the, I don't know, six or seven minutes I'm on screen, I was actually sitting in that chair for, I was actually there all day, but I was in that chair for about six hours getting that thought too. Wow. Uh, so it took, that a, had to hurt. it took a long time. Yeah. What, what they would do is they, they, they put rubber bands on the machine so it would lower the sound of the machine. And he would like almost kind of just like fill in areas and talk to me. And then they say, "Okay, we're turning the cameras off." And then they turn the cameras off, and the machines would get louder. And I'd go, "Oh my god, my chest!" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don't uh, weep openly while the cameras are on, please. <laughs> yeah, then they'd go, "Okay, we'll turn the cameras back on." And I would just kind of like get my composure. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what 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 got me about it is is you know they interview me beforehand and they they 
asked me a bunch of Transformers questions, and I answered as nerdy as possible. And I'm dropping names, and I'm giving them references, and I'm telling them stories, and all this other stuff. And apparently it was too nerdy for them. So when it aired, they had cut down all my dialogue so that questions like, why did you choose this Transformer? Instead of the long-winded answer I gave, just came out like, well, he's a robot. Me being a dumbass, but um, uh, but ultimately it was a fun experience, painful experience, but a fun experience. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it gets you on TV. There you go. Yeah, yeah I, I get recognized for it every once in a while, still to this day. Wow, I think still. it's kind of bizarre that that Bill actually has a licensed tattoo because I've <laughs> never heard of that before. And, and I don't know if you've seen the tattoo, but it's giant. It's on my chest, and it's bright orange. So my girlfriend loves it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, what's weird is uh, lately, in the last couple of years, at like comic conventions, you see a lot more of um, tattoo artists showing up. And that just... Mm -hmm. You know, just to show off the show their wares, where they've actually got a booth where they do tattoos. Oh yeah. Oh well, in Chicago at least. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I that, but uh, that's that's great. That's cool. And not it's, not that I get one, but because no, it's, it's, it's giant it's, it's wuss. And, it's definitely a crossover there. I mean, we're we're into a very visual uh, a hobby. Uh, same with comic books and superheroes or G.I. Joe or not just Transformers. It only makes sense that it would carry over into the tattoo world. Yeah, yeah that's true. They're usually pretty jumping. Uh, my wife's like, hey, you want to go get a tattoo? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just because I'm afraid of needles. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it has more to do with I, I, I'm just not sure if I care about any one particular thing to have it permanently scarred into my body i think you got to be of a certain mindset to get one mm. yeah i just think it's 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 either part of your personality or it's not part of your personality mm. I, I think i'm unique enough yeah <laughs> for me i don't think so i need just <laughs> i need to advertise <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can't, oh, you can't throw a rock I, I, can, I can i can just see bill now with his with his right arm sleeve, Transformers Legacy, go buy it now. <laughs> Coming down his entire arm. <laughs> that would, you know, honestly though, I think I think if I had seven Transformers books under my belt, I would probably have the uh, like the covers blended in, you know, on a sleeve. <laughs> How cool would that be? There's an idea for you. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go Jerry, back to run that one by Jill. Yeah. What's that? I said, run that one by Jill. Uh, what <laughs> she says. They're just expensive. Right. Tattoos are pricey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, especially if you want one. What a yeah. Oh yeah. 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 A couple thousand dollars on that sleeve. Yeah. Do either one of you guys have any crazy or um, interesting fan experiences that you might have had over the years going to BotCon? Any 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 weird requests or anything like that? I got to sign a girl's boob once. Who hasn't? No. <laughs> uh, I, I've, had a couple, I've had a couple of people, um, usually younger people, 
uh, after the almanacs came out, get very excited over meeting me, and it became very strange and unusual because, you know, quite frankly, I get a couple of Transformers books, and to be treated in any sort of, uh, like I've, I've been in a movie or something, is very uncomfortable and very weird. But I've had a couple experiences where I was, uh, one time I was at a convention, and uh, this kid came over and started talking to me over a toy I was looking at. I forget what it was, but for whatever reason, let's say it was Whirl, and I was looking at a Whirl, and uh, he came over and said, well, such and such and such, this will be in the next All-Spark Almanac. And I said, oh, no, it won't be. And he said, how do you know? I said, because I wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid reaches up and grabs my name badge, which was turned up backwards, and he turns it around and sees my name, and he just flips out on me. Oh, my God, oh, my God, I have so much questions. I have to ask you this, I have to ask you that. And it was so uncomfortable and so weird <laughs> that I just tried to get the hell out of there. So little things like that uh, happen once in a while. But uh, I don't know if we have any really crazy stories, though. Jim, you got anything? Uh, other than, than my boob signing? Not particularly. I mean, I, I, I tend to go to network and to chat with fans and to promote the work and to, you know, hunt for toys and artwork, and yeah, I tend to mostly mostly do that. I mean, not, not a whole lot very strange has happened. Oh, oh I might have a good one. Um, after the tattoo thing, I kind of came up with this idea that I was going to try to do more publicity nonsense, you know? And uh, I went and I took a uh, Cobra Commander action figure when we had the G.I. Joe books coming out, and I attached it to a camera, and I launched this thing into space. And uh, put it on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and type Cobra Commander Space, you'll see this action figure. I've so, seen that. Okay, that was me. I didn't realize that was you. How yeah. cool. So uh, so I did this, and uh, some guy that I know who's a weirdo, and long story behind him, but a guy named Peter I know, who's a really great guy, but he's a very strange guy, uh, comes to me and he says, uh, what, what are you going to do next? So me joking said... I'm going to take a transformer to the top of Mount Everest. And <laughs> the next thing I know, he's writing to me and he says, can it be Erector? Can you take Erector to the top of Mount Everest? So I don't know if you know anything about Mount Everest, but it's really expensive and really difficult to climb. So I said, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, if you pay for it, I'll climb. You get $100,000 to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> I will go climb Mount Everest and put an Erector on the, on the summit. There you go. You'll and, put it next to the dead bodies of people who, you know, couldn't make it back down and they can't afford to bring them down. <laughs> and the next thing go, I know, Victor. this guy is making me logos for the trip. And there's this logo of me standing on top of Mount Everest holding an erector above my head. <laughs> and he's in Sweden, I believe, trying to raise money now. <laughs> oh this is what Go to www.kickstarter.com and... No. There you go. So, so, so <laughs> while I sincerely doubt I'm ever going to climb Mount Everest, don't be surprised if you see me climb something and put an erector on the top of it. <laughs> you know, wow. Empire State Building, Statue yeah. of Liberty. Something. You, know, you may not make it to Everest, but you can go to Paris. You know, Maybe. I, I can see that. Maybe if I find a much smaller mountain. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's some nice sized mountains out in LA, right? 
<laughs> or you could just, you know, go to the top of Willis Tower. <laughs> the Willis Tower. <laughs> I'm gonna take Erector and put him on the the edge. <laughs> and I'm looking down. That's right. You're not afraid of heights, are you, Erector? <laughs> oh. All right. Um, where uh, would you like to inform the fans where they can interact with you online, Jim? Uh, I'm sure. Uh, probably still the best place remains. My blog at uh, boltax.blogspot.com. And uh, you can also email us at transformersthearc at yahoo.com. All one word? What about? Yeah. Uh, I would assume. I'm, all one I'm word. just asking. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes. Uh, what about you, Bill? Uh, well, you can look for me on Twitter or Facebook under Bill Forster. Uh, I also uh, have a website with my artwork on it called uh, billforster.com. And that's F O R S T E R. And uh, while it is filled with ponies right now, um, soon there'll be some more Transformers stuff on it. So. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, check that out. Yeah. Or go to BotCon and look for the guy in the cowboy hat. He'll be the guy standing immediately behind him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the guy standing 10 feet behind yeah, him. Wow. Well, <laughs> you know, those aisles aren't that big. It's kind of hard, you know. Say that close. Well, you know, Jim could have, you know, flashed his celebrity badge and got to the front of the line, and Bill is standing at the back of the line. Yeah, I don't get a celebrity badge. <laughs> that never, that never worked for me. But no, that's it's, oh. it, I'm not a celebrity. There you go. Exactly. But no, it's, it's very right. cool. I, I just wanted to throw it out there that you know, it, it, it's the story here that I'm that you guys have told is that you're big fans, and or at least. You know, Jim, big fan <laughs> and collect collectors. Uh, you know of the of the uh, the toys and such. But you made your your you know your fandom work for you, and and you have uh, you know made something really really cool out of it. And you know, gotta gotta give you guys uh you know applause for that. Thank you. Oh yeah, I mean seven amazing art books. Yeah. That's just just awesome uh really really is and what i was saying earlier about about the voices and stuff like every time i would read i read the allspark almanacs it's i can hear the characters in my head as i'm <laughs> reading those stories i'm like i can hear sentinel pontificating as he always does um <laughs> i have was... to say sentinel prime is far and away my favorite character from uh transformers animated i just I just fell in love with him. He's just fantastic. And I think what I really regret about the fourth season, and I think many people were very upset there wasn't the fourth season, and I think I was less so because I thought the third season really did quite a good job of wrapping up almost all the loose loose ends. But I, but what, what I regret missing out on is the idea of the sent, you know, the the administration of Cybertron by Sentinel Magnus. I really wanted to see that and you know we we got to see a little bit of it but we would have gotten to see a whole lot more and that would have been a lot of fun i just wanted season four for the proposed dark glass uh shattered glass episode they were going to do and to make sure that rodimus was still alive <laughs> i i i thought that uh shattered glass sentinel prime should be a headmaster <laughs> Oh wow, that would be a change. Uh, the real, real organic partnership. Yes, yes, it would be. <laughs> Very nice. 
All right. Well, we would like to thank Mr. Sorensen and Mr. Forrest for taking the time to chat with us here in this All Things Transformers interview. We'll ask you to hold the line, and we'll be back after this. Hi, this is Bill Forster, and you are listening to All Things Transformers. So, Jim and Bill, what can you tell us about the new book you have coming out? I'm sorry. We're not allowed to share any details about the book. Oh, I understand. <laughs> Damn lawyers. <laughs> no. Um, let's see. It's going to be a 300-page volume. Uh, it's going to be oversized. So if you guys have seen the Art of Prime that I did back in, in uh, November or so, or oh. I think December, actually, it's going to be that size. Really large. Well, what are the dimensions, Bill? About, what, 12 and a half by 9 and a half, something like that? Uh, roughly, yeah, roughly about that. Uh, and that's per page. So the, the two-page spreads are just absolutely stunning. Um, the, uh, the book uh, covers all of G1, uh, all of G2, uh, or rather uh, the U.S. G2, uh, all, of, all of the U.S. G1, and then all the Japanese stuff from uh, G1 as well. And in terms of uh, completion, it's not 100%, but it's real close. It's maybe 95, 96% of, uh, of what's out there we found. And most of the gaps tended to be uh, pretty obscure. So there's um, some, uh, a few missing action masters, a few missing from the tail end of G2, and a, a couple of Japanese guys. And that's it for, for what's missing. So almost, and we're really proud of that because um, you know, I think we alluded to earlier, Hasbro didn't have much of this material in their archives. When we first pitched the book, we kind of hoped that they would. We mm -hmm. kind of assumed that they would. And they, they want to be able to give us maybe 20, 30 images, something like that, including a couple of, of unused images, which were kind of neat. But they were missing a lot of just the core characters. So huh. when we first pitched the book, we were working from scans, from laser discs, and things like that. And over the course of putting it together, you know, we'd, we'd spent a couple of years on it, I think, uh, you know, off and on, on the back burner. But over the course of putting it together, we wound up finding fans and uh, collectors and, and some professionals, some of the original artists that had worked on it, that had, you know, a few pieces here, a few pieces there. And, and also working with uh, Takara, through their design firm, uh, which is called Part One, they they do all the e-hobby exclusives, and with you know combining all those different sources into something where we have virtually everything, and and we almost never worked were able to work from a box scan. So these are these are scans from original artwork, scans from first generation uh, transparencies, chromalins, uh, scans from first generation photo negatives. That sort of thing. So the artwork is just amazingly crystal clear. There's no uh, print artifacts. None of the character bits are, are cut off by anything. I mean, if you look at the actual package art, a lot of the time somebody's foot gets covered, somebody's arm runs off the page, and that just doesn't happen in this book. And we're, I think we're really proud that we were able to find so many high-quality sources. That sounds fantastic. So, I mean, I haven't seen previews yet um, of the art, but I mean, what, what's the format in? I mean, is it like, uh, is it just the, the picture of the character as appeared on the box, or is it like a, a picture of the box? Or, you know, I, I've seen the boxes uh, folded flat so you can see, like, the sides, things like that. I mean, what, what does it look like in the, in the actual print? 
uh, it's the image itself uh, in its entirety. Uh, it's like Jim was saying, it's not scanned from any boxes or anything, so it doesn't have uh, the background of the box. However, we did do some backgrounds to it that uh, kind of uh, um, represent the box art uh, and, and kind of give homage to that time period in, in the toy's history. However, um, the some some of the images uh, might share a page with another character. Other images uh, might stand alone. But uh, effectively, we go through several chapters. I think fourteen chapters actually, and uh, we break down, separate them by Autobot and Decepticon, and just kind of put the appropriate characters together with uh, appropriate characters. Nice. What Bill was alluding to um, about the the backgrounds. One of the, and I, I think I made a, a, Facebook, a Facebook post around this idea, but one of the joys and occasional frustrations of working collaboratively is that you can be surprised. And in this one, mostly what I did was locate the images and put them in the right context. You know, organize them, say who goes with who, what goes in what chapter. Bill did most of the heavy lifting in terms of cleaning up the images and laying out the images and, and, and putting them in the visual context. And when I first saw the book, what really struck me was how he said, you know, there's 14 chapters. Each one sort of covers a different era. So you have your classic era, the characters that were introduced in 8045, your movie era stuff, your pretenders, your micromasters, the various different Japanese eras. But each one has its own feel to it, its own background that sort of calls to mind the packages of those era. Right. And and it 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 makes the book have this wonderful sort of momentum. And it wasn't something I think I would have come up with. It wasn't the sort of idea that I would have had. So that's one of the joys of working with somebody else who you're who who has a different vision than you but but wants to accomplish the same things is that you can look at your work and be surprised and pleased. And, and that definitely is something that happened around that aspect of the book. And I, I think it's, it, it, it does a great job of capturing the feeling, the emotional feeling of looking at this artwork on a package without being a picture of the package the artwork next to the toy and whatnot, but it feels like that. So right. as you go, you're like, you know, it, it, it's not just on a white background for the most part. I mean, the, um, the last chapter is uh, we call oddities and it's all the sort of stuff that, that didn't fit into neatly into one of our ears. So that's, that's on a plain white background. And I think pretenders wound up being on a plain black background because it worked really well for them. But, but for the most part, as you go through it, it's the, the background gives it such a nice, such a nostalgic feeling. I was, I was really, uh, proud's not quite the right word because it wasn't really my accomplishment, but I, I guess pride, pride of authors that sort of to look at that. I was really impressed by that. And, nice. and actually, yeah. um, we, we, we broke the book into four rough parts, um, sort of overarching eras, and each part has a two-page introduction where we sort of talk about, um, you know, put, put the artwork into context. And there we do show some uh, some pictures of packages and some scans of uh, proof cards and uh, you mentioned having a, 
um, a, a box that's, that's folded so you can see the flaps. We have, we have that to, to also try and set the right context. So if you're, if you're reading the book, you know, I mean, it's an art book, so it's, you're not mostly going to be reading it, but we did want to make sure, and, um, and that, that was some input from our editors at IDW, they wanted to make sure that, that there was that sort of context for someone that did want to actually learn more about it. Right. And I think that was probably uh, the correct decision because, you know, in the course of putting it together, we did sort of uncover some, some interesting facts, and, and I learned things about the process of, of how they did it and why they did it. And it's, it's interesting to share some of that, I think. But, but mostly, I, oh, sorry. It's okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I was just saying, speaking of reading an art book, uh, Jim went and tracked down uh, uh, many of the artists that actually did these pieces. And we've got interviews and essays uh, from them as well in the book. So you can also kind of get their perspective on it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, was, I was really proud of that. We were able to find, I think we have nine nine of the original artists, eight of them from the U.S., and uh, one of them from Japan who'd, who'd done quite a lot of the illustrations behind it and got them to share their thoughts. And I was, I was really proud of that because some of these names, many of these names aren't known at all to the Transformers fandom. So mm -hmm. to, to first, anytime you uncover something new, it's such a well-researched hobby. You, know, you get a certain pride from that. But, but to not only find out who they were, but to get their direct input. I was, I was really proud of that. Nice. And that's uh, the interviews are in the book. Yep. Yeah. Oh. yeah we, use, we use them sort of as um, uh, chapter separator elements. So you know, between each chapter, we'll have a nice two-page spread of, of uh, sort of the back of the package style artwork to sort of introduce it, and then we'll have one page of either you know an essay, an interview. Sometimes we'll have sketches or other sort of uh, slightly askew elements. You know, these other elements, and then then we start the chapter on the, the right-hand side of the page. There, you know, there's a lot of that. content. There's a lot of content in this book. Well, it's it's, it's 300 pages, and we, we use all 300. Yeah. So what you're saying is these interviews are kind of like what you guys did with the AllSpark Almanac, where you would have, like, Yatter and all these other little interesting things, but in, in this case, it's the interviews from these artists. That's That's really cool. That is an interesting way to separate the the chapters. I thought so. And it, it gives it a, um, a visual break because the book is, um, yeah, busy is not quite the right word, but, but the book has a lot, it's dense, that's the word. You know, there, there's a lot going on in the book. I mean, it, 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 uh, you know, the, the essays tend to be on a plain white background, so it sort of gives your eye a bit of a break as you're, as you're going through this. Nice. Yeah, Very and it cool. cleans your palate for the next chapter. Yeah, that's always good. Yeah. Wow. Anything else? Anything else we want to bring up about the book? Oh, uh, we we could probably talk about the book for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no spoilers. <laughs> it's hard to spoil an art book because no matter how much we talk about an image, unless you're actually looking at it. Looking at uh, it. Yeah. Well, oh. what, one of the things I thought was neat was, you know, we have we have 12 chapters where we go through the era of, of the various eras of artwork that, that was published. Uh, like I said, all of G1, all of G2 um, you know, from the U.S. 
uh, and then the Japanese material. We couldn't really find, we had a little bit from the UK, but not a lot, not enough to warrant its own chapter. But the last two chapters, I, I, I mentioned that the last one, 14, is oddities, and there's a lot of neat stuff in there. But, you know, things like the UK artworks, a little bit of artwork from Diaclone and Microchange, um, some of the um, uh, variants that, that, that had been used, uh, some of the two-page spreads from art from Japan. So all that stuff is kind of neat, a little bit of catalog artwork. But the 13th chapter is unused artwork. And that was stuff that was produced for the G1 or, or the G2 lines, but not actually used in a toy that came out. And that winds up being, you know, a good, uh, I want to I say, you know, maybe, you know, 12 to 15 page chapter of artwork that wasn't used. And I thought that was just the neatest thing, you know, to go through. I mean, a lot of it's from G2 because there were various toys that were developed for G2 and almost came out, but didn't quite. So things right. like Decons and, um, you know, new color variants of the, the jets and the Diaclone cars and the Dinobots. But there's also some stuff from G1 uh, that, that had come out, like on the, uh, the Micromaster Battlefield headquarters uh, from, from 1990. You know, on the front of the, the package, you have, you know, the, the nice used picture of, of, of the truck sort of rolling with the two Micromasters in it. But if you look really, really carefully on the back of the package, you'll see that they have the headshots of full barrel and overflow, the, the two Micromasters that came with it. And they're not the same as the headshots that were used in the artwork of the truck, of them driving the truck. And we actually, in the course of putting this together, this is something that, uh, that Rick Alvarez, who'd worked at, at Hasbro at the time, had dug up for us, um, found the actual full-bodied illustrations of these two MicroMasters that, that all you ever see in the package is their heads. But we have the whole thing. And I, I, it's elements like that that I just think are... Um, that, that really helped kind of push the book over the edge. I mean, it's it's already a very, yeah, I mean, I mean, people love this style of artwork. I love the style of artwork. I really respond to it emotionally. So it's, it's neat just to have, you know, if all we had was, you know, 95% of this artwork in one place, that would be an accomplishment. But to also have stuff that's that was made in the 80s and in the 90s that was never used, stuff like the uh, full barrel and overflow bodies, stuff like, a potential U.S. release of Multiforce, stuff like the unreleased GoBots from G2, or, or the mm. stuff that eventually got released as Spy Changers, but not for years, years and years and years, you know, part of the Robots in Disguise line years later. Right. Um, that sort of material, I, I mean, I'm just incredibly proud to have, have found that, and I think it really makes the book feel special, you know, because a lot of the stuff you've you know, I can guarantee you, you've never seen before because nobody's ever seen it before. That sounds amazing. Now, recently they had, uh, uh, oh, what, what, what resurfaced? It was like a, uh, a Sears Christmas catalog from 1980, oh, whatever, whatever year. Um, mm -hmm. I want to say whatever year, like the G2 stuff was coming out at the time. Maybe it was a little bit later. But uh, they showed pictures of, a lot of the stuff that hadn't come out yet and the fandom was just flabbergasted like just amazed and like wow this was coming out or these were the you know, repaints of this was coming out um so i can only imagine what people are going to say when they get a hold of your book oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's going to be pretty epic. Yes. Looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the reaction, certainly. Yeah. One, one of the great joys of doing these books is to read the reviews on Amazon, to look at the forum posts about the book, and, and to be asked questions about it. You know, I mean, it's, it's definitely, we have to go on the, on the podcast and talk about the upcoming projects because, you know, we sort of have to sing for our supper and, and, and make sure that, that the books, that the people get the word uh, that these books are, are coming out. You know, we want to get the word out. But um, it's, it's also very gratifying for us to have the opportunity to interact with somebody who enjoys the work and, and wants to know, you know why we did a certain thing or how we did a certain thing. You know, that, that's a lot of fun for us. Very cool, very cool. Um, we are, uh, well, we're two years away from Beast Wars anniversary. Do you guys have any plans for a Beast Wars book? <laughs> Book number eight. There you go. We yeah, I mean, I, oh, sorry, Bill, you can take this one. I, I, we have plans for everything, is all I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if, if you've had an idea for a Transformers art book, there's a pretty decent chance that we've at some point or other at least mentioned it to IDW. You know, the, the trick mm-hmm. is um, there's basically three questions that have to be asked. Um, to, that we need yes well uh, does the material exist you know in a way that we can get access to it if the material doesn't exist we can't do the book you know does it make commercial sense for idw is it a book that if they publish you know people will buy in sufficient numbers to justify publishing it and does it make strategic sense for hasbro so if, if the answer to those three questions are yes there's a pretty good chance that that book can come out. And, uh, and, and really, those are things, the, the, the Hasbro quest. Jim, you cut out. Uh, I, I think what he's saying is uh, over time, the, the, the answer to those three questions changes. You know, if we pitched something yeah. two years ago, it might be different this year, and it might be different two years from now. So two years from now, when we're looking at the anniversary of Beast Wars, who knows where we'll be? Uh, certain, yeah. Certainly we'll be there pitching the idea, uh, but it, it's all, always a matter of what we kind of can't do through uh, IDW. Right. Yeah. I personally would love to see a Beast Machines art book. I love Beast Machines. I think a lot of the Beast Machines art would end up being, uh, you know, I don't want to say scans from the TV show, but, I mean, if, that, if the original the art... The original CGI art could be dug up, then that would be interesting. Uh, yeah. Package art would be interesting, but uh, you know, specifically now, I think we're seeing more um, Beast Wars stuff show up in in the uh, the toy line. You've got a Rat Trap coming out. You got Tankor coming out. That's because they got shoehorned into the comic. Well, I still have I still have no or, I have to go back I have, I have to go back and read Dark Cybertron to figure out how the hell Waspinator, Rattrap, and Tankor fit into Dark Cybertron. I still now, did do they, not get did, it. Do you think they showed up in the comic because there's a toy coming out, or do you think the toy coming out precipitated them showing up in the comic? Probably I, both. You know, these toys, think, they're on the drawing board years in advance. Yeah. Jim, yeah. what were you gonna say? <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to think that you you might be confusing cause and effect. I, I I tend to think that 
if the toys are showing up in the comic, it's because the toy is coming out. Yeah, that's true. At, at least in, in those cases. There are definitely are cases of a character becomes popular in a comic or on a TV show and therefore gets a toy, but the, the lag time you know, does tend to be a couple of years. And nine times out of ten, the toy is going to make you more money than the comic is, so that's what's going to drive it. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys taking the time to talk with us, and we will catch you later. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. One more time! This is going to be juicy. All right. There you go, folks. The um, interview with Jim Sorensen and Bill Forrester. It was amazing talking to those guys. Uh, It was a lot of fun. It was great fun now you know like i said jim i i knew i know of jim uh i've spoken with him did not know of bill and, and i'm really happy that i got a chance to talk with him and you know i hit him up on facebook very cool very cool very nice guy yeah very very awesome the, the funny thing is when i searched for or when i was looking at the tf wiki uh for both of them because that's the best place that i could find for their actual information because they're not on wiki as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. The link that I found with uh, Bill's tattoo actually goes back to Jim's blog, Disciples of Baltax. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that was a link you sent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You'll have to put that link online, too. Oh, yeah, I, w- I will most definitely put it in the post, yeah. Or, or we so. could just, you know, do a Google search for Baltax, yep. you know, tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right well that's gonna do it with this uh second interview for tfg1 all things transformers all that good stuff uh second interview of the year so far first time around we talked with uh abby collins so that was really really awesome talking to starscream's daughter oh. uh, yeah you yeah. missed out on that one uh, yeah that sounds like a good time <laughs> yeah no it was hilarious it was awesome um she told us stories of um how basically uh Cobra Commander and Starscream were every every time that her dad was going to discipline the kids. Oh, you're kidding. (laughs) No, you'll have to listen to it. That must have been hell growing up. (laughs) Can't imagine that. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the TFG1 podcast, all things Transformers interview of Jim Sorensen and Bill Forrester. Be sure to check out Transformers Legacy, the art of uh, Transformers toy packaging, coming out soon from IDW Publishing. And we will catch you next time. Transform and roll out. I love when a plan comes together.